0: Hey, uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Psalms chapter 22, verse 6, or many of you, open your cell phone to Psalms 22, verse 6, and uh, I want to tell you how special Father's Day is. God, in His infinite wisdom, instituted the family. Husband and wife get married and then have children. It was God's perfect plan for the family. God has a very special plan for us as dads and moms and children. He's very clear about it from the very beginning, but also Jesus Christ and the apostles wrote about it and what the family was intended to be. They took the Old Testament scripture and elongated it and expounded upon it that you and I might understand God's word for the family and what God has for the family. I'm so thankful for being part of this family of God here and knowing all the families of this precious church. And Just like me, we get up every day and try to do a better job each and every day as husbands, and I love our wives in a great way, but also love our children and raise our children and do a better job as a father each and every day. And I'm so thankful for the example that many of you are to me. If you found your way to Psalms 22, stand with me. I'm sorry, Proverbs 22. Did I give you the wrong Bible verse there? Proverbs 22. It's up on the screen there. Verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me say that again up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word, Father. Speak to our hearts this day, Father, as we discern your word, Father, as we hear your word, Father. Lord, we realize, Lord, that it's there for a very specific reason, Father, to instruct us, Father, to challenge us, Father, but also to guide our way, to order our steps and direct our path. Father, we thank you now for your holy word. I thank you for this opportunity, Father, we have to look at your word today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, you may have noticed in the last few weeks here, I think it's been about four or five weeks now, I've been putting a little piece of paper in your bulletin called Sermon Notes. I typically have the scripture we're using and also the title. Sometimes I actually have a little outline for us to look at. And uh, I'm doing this for a reason. And uh, I've shared with you before that uh, preaching from the pulpit up here is like me standing on one side of the stage over here and having about six or eight little milk bottles over here open that are empty and taking a bucket of water and throwing it across the room and trying to get some of the water in those buckets, okay? And uh, I know you come here today and you, you worship God and you open your Bible and you think about some of these things, but I want to take our learning experience up to another level. And part of that is by, I think, maybe taking a few notes, maybe something that is said during the day or maybe part of the scripture that really speaks to your heart or something that God has put on your heart as you're sitting here, But also, maybe it's something somebody shared with you coming in here. Or maybe when we're shaking hands, somebody shared a thought, and you want to make a little prayer note there, I want to pray for this person. But I want you to carry from this worship service all that you can every week and and meditate on it. Think about it a lot. I also today put a little bit of uh, the lesson plan under the Connect with God and Others here in the section there. It's a little house that has six points we're talking about today in the message. The same six points on your little sheet here. But I give you the definitions of the bulletin, so you kind of use both those as a little bit of a study guide today as we talk about God's Word. But I want you to understand today the real meaning of Proverbs 22, verse 6. We've all heard it before. We've all kind of assumed kind of what it meant. I think most of us as Christians believe that what that means, to train up a child in the way you go, means that, man, I want to get them in front of God. I want to make sure that they hear God's Word, that they go to Sunday school and they, they grow up and really understand what God is all about. So he realized that it's most important that I raise up a child in God. I want you to understand this verse. That has a big to-do to about it. That's a big part of this verse. But what this really verse is really talking about is the individual. It's talking about the child. The real meaning that is centered on in the way, raise up a child and the way he should go, is talking about children, not about God with that little part there. You, well, Pastor, what does that mean? It means that God is directing you and I to raise up that child in the way that God intended him to be. That's our mission, to raise up a child in the way, the way he, the child, should go. To help them understand who God is in their life. To help them leave our home one day and understand God is real. That God is the priority of my life. And without God, I'd be nothing. That they grow up and realize that's the foundation for our life. That they'd grow up and seek a godly spouse. That they'd grow up and seek God in their life and want to raise a godly family. It's huge. I want you to understand the basis for this whole thought, though. We're talking about the child. Raise up the child in the way that he should go. It's God's ways. Obviously, God has a big to-do with this verse here. But we're really talking about that child. Raising him up in the way or she should go. Remember Jeremiah 1.5. God's telling Jeremiah, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart as a prophet. God's telling Jeremiah, I had a plan for you before you even formed. Before you even came into existence, I knew about you. And I had a very special plan. Well, that's what we're talking about here. Raise up that child so they realize that plan that God has for them. That they realize that purpose that God has for them. We all have a purpose. God, you hear me say it all the time, God wants to do supernatural things with ordinary people. And so I want my children to grow up and understand that. And realize that I'm special, I'm lovable, I have significance, and I want to see what God might do with my life as I give to Him. I want to see God do something significant and supernatural with this ordinary life. God knows us best. Think about this for just a second. God knows you and I best. Nobody knows us better than God does. Our parents know us pretty well. One day, our spouse will know us pretty well. But God knows us best. And think about this slide. And God lives us, loves us most. God knows us best, and loves us most. We have an advocate in God, and you know what he's charged parents to do? Help us understand that. Help our children understand that. That God knows us best, and God has the best plan for us, and God loves us most. Our mission as dads, guys, our mission as mothers, is to raise our children in the way that God would have them to go. I want you to understand, first and foremost today, that there's no one else like your child. If you have more than one child, or if you've seen other families, I always marvel in my own family. Our three oldest children came from Amy and I. And they're all three distinct, all different, sometimes totally different. Like, how could they come from the same set of parents? they got such different personalities. But I'm so thankful for the uniqueness. There's nobody like your child. There's nobody like each one of your children. They're individuals. They're set apart. They're specially and uniquely designed by God, created in His image. You know, sad to say, though, that our children are growing up, though, in a culture that does not support the family. Many values that are driven in our culture today are actually deadly. They're deadly enemies to the family. All the more reason for us to help our children to grow up in the nurture and the admonition of Jesus Christ. To stand firm and to be able to stand in this world out there that's tough. Getting tough for all the time. It's tough for us as adults. You guys see it as well as I do. It's tough out there to take a stand. It's getting tougher all the time, so it's that much more important that we help our our children become all that God wants them to be. You guys uh, are familiar, I'm sure, with George Foreman, former heavyweight boxing champion. In fact, he was mentioned quite a bit lately with uh, being friends, ultimately friends, with Muhammad Ali. But are you aware that he has five sons? And you know what he called all five sons? George, 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 and George. I don't know if you know this about George Foreman. George Foreman grew up and never knew his father. He realized as a person, as an adult, but also a young person, how much a father could have made a difference. He realized because he never had one the value of a father. He says personally that he named all five of his sons George because he never wanted them to forget who their dad was. He understood the value of a father. As as parents, as dads and moms, we obviously don't want our children to forget us, but more than that, we don't want our children to ever forget their Heavenly Father. That They realize who he is in their life. I don't want to dwell this morning on all the things that we've made mistakes with or all the things, unfortunately, going wrong in our country. I want to pinpoint how you and I can make a difference, how we can put things in a right perspective or and a more right perspective than maybe they are right now and continue to build upon the great job many of you are doing right now, raising your families. In 1993, when Amy and I celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary, she gave me a book. It's called How to Be a Hero to Your Kids. It wasn't the first book that she and I had read about parents. We were wanting to be kind of studious because we're brand new parents. had three kids. Whoa, you know, how do we do this? And so, obviously, we were very involved in church, and we knew that the, the foundation for all wisdom in raising children comes from God's Holy Word. But we supplemented it with some other books written by some Christian authors, and Amy, it's called How to Be a Hero to Kids by Josh McDowell and Dick Day, and uh, in the inside she said, we're in this together, we can be heroes together, happy anniversary, 1993, love, Amy, and I'll tell you right now, it's out of print, but I think you can still find it on Google, the best book I've ever read, aside from the Bible, on raising kids, and that's why I want to pull six main principles out of this book today, based on what we're supposed to do and the, and the principles uh, Proverbs 22-6 to kind of help us understand parenting and give us some practical tools to raise our children. Amy and I have had an incredible journey raising children. It's truly been the joy of our married life. I love my wife and we've had many great times as a married couple and done wonderful things and had great vacations and things with kids and without kids. And um, But raising children... What a precious blessing. And I'll tell you personally, one of the things that kind of I've gone through in a journey here and shared with some other guys going through it, that as my children graduated from high school and got ready to go to college, I began wondering how to go so fast. Some of you guys have been there too. And you know, it seemed like just yesterday, little toddlers here and running around, two years old, and learning how to walk and talk. And uh, I love the thought of you can't wait till they walk and talk so you can tell them to sit down and be quiet. But what an incredible journey we've had. One of the things I've kind of. Uh, ask myself to do and ask God's help with is that God help me to enjoy each part of the journey. I'll be honest, I was very sad when I left to go to college. I was sitting there thinking, you know, how fast it went and you guys have heard it before too, how people have told you over and over, make sure you spend plenty of time because it goes so fast. Oh, you know, yeah, 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 I got that. I got that. Well, you know, when my first daughter went to college, I told our church at that point, I said, I wish I had twenty four hours a day, seven days a week For the last 18 years, because I would have spent even more time. And uh, I was a workaholic a little bit, and so I worked too much. And I'm not even gone, dead yet, but I already regret working too much and not spending more time with the family. So it's huge that we understand those concepts, that you spend time on the most precious things in your life. Work's there, and you need to do a good job, but take the time to be with family. But I want to share these six principles, six traits. I'm calling them to be a successful father. But there are really six traits of positive parenting put uh, in his book here by Josh McDowell. The first trait is acceptance. The definition is put in your bulletin, and you have a little notepad to take any notes you want to take here. But acceptance means the unconditional love, that unconditional love develops a sense of security and self-worth. If you accept them, you know what's going to happen? They're going to accept themselves. Don't miss that. When we accept our children, we teach them to accept themselves. Why? Because I'm lovable, because I'm significant, I have security, I have self-worth. question for you and I today is do we love our children because of what they do or do we love our children because of who they are? You know, we need to come to learn and, and love our children. I think you probably do. Love our children for who they are. Are they all different? Absolutely. We can't raise each child the same way. They all respond to different things. I want you to know this, though, that if a child hears nothing but negativity or nothing that you can do better they're going to begin to develop a little bit of an unworthiness. Their self-worth is not going to be where it needs to be. They need to hear, listen back carefully, more praise than critique. Okay? And there's ways to do both. the ways to challenge them. We all carry a mental picture of ourselves. We all do. A lot of us think we're a little bit older and kind of don't really think that. But, you know, if you think that, that is a mental picture. I don't have any problems. I'm doing good. Or, woe is me. I just don't know if I can do this. Self-confidence. All these things that come along It starts and it's founded in acceptance. Am I an accepted individual at home? When we accept our children, you know what happens? They come to realize that God accepts them too. That they're special to their parents, but they're also special to God. We are the mirror for God in our children's life. What they see coming out of our life, they're going to reflect from God. I want to be a mirror from God. I want to reflect God into my child's life. I want my children to see God through me. I I fall far short from God. God. But I want them to see godly values and godly virtues from me. If a child ends up being unaccepted, that person is going to live most of their life in fear. Why? Because I'm not worthy of this. I'm not good enough to do this. I don't think I can do this. Their whole security is not there. They don't have their self-confidence and security to try things, to risk things, to venture out on an adventure. Unfortunately, many unaccepted children also live in shame and guilt because they're not worthy. They don't feel like they have value if an acceptance of a child lives in acceptance, you know what happens? They realize that I'm lovable, I'm lovable, I'm worthy. I'm somebody special. I'll tell you this story. it's a sad story, but it has a happy ending. I love those kind of movies. Abby when she my daughter Abby, my second daughter when she was in high school, her senior class trip was to Bush Gardens. And uh, she was so excited talking about it for a week before she went. She'd go on with some precious friends and the whole class there, but she's going to hang out with some girlfriends. They got to the park. And the four girls needed to go to the restroom. And Abby didn't need to go, so she waited outside. Well, she waited and waited and waited and waited. And they never came out. So she finally went in there and couldn't find them anywhere. And so she called one of them on the cell phone. And the little girl on the other end of the phone said, hey, Abby, you know, I'm sorry to do this, but, you know. Five of us just didn't really work in the park because there were going to be two two by two going on rides. So we decided maybe you could find somebody else to go hang out with in the park. And so she was obviously devastated. She called us from the park. She was sad. But she helped. we found out a couple of friends and hung out with them. And, um, you know, there was a number of things that happened in Abby's life. Her eighth grade year was kind of bad and sad. But you know, today, I shared this a few weeks ago, but she's working in Nashville, and she's got a little sign on her wall in her office. Remember what it said? Live every day like it's your birthday. Listen very carefully. All of our children are going to have phenomenal peer pressure. All of our children are going to have from time to time other children making fun of them or doing mean things or attacking who they are. Our children need to have such great acceptance by their mom and dad and the acceptance that they understand from their mom and dad comes from God as well. That they know who they are. They knew I know I have worth, and even though these people out here are mean to me, I'm still me. I still have value. I'm still somebody important, somebody special. I love the fact that the hard times, and Abby probably as many as many of my kids had some hard times in school, that those hard times did not define her life. What defined her life was God, and the fact that she realized she's accepted. Our, all of our children have those situations every single day. Appreciation, number two. Sincere praise and affirmation develops a sense of significance. We say, well, that's kind of like acceptance, Pastor. It is. I want you to understand the difference here, though. Acceptance, the first word we talked about, means that their being matters. Acceptance means that my being, who I am, matters. Appreciation means that my doing matters. What I do matters. First of all, I'm accepted. I'm a person, but also... I have significance by what I do. I have significance by what my giftedness is, by my special thoughts. I can identify inside my children, all of them, the special gifts that God given them. Not all of them, but I identify a lot of them. I realize what their gifts are, and I've tried to praise them on those lines. I've tried to encourage them along those lines because they got this giftedness. We all need to live our life and catch our kids doing something right. It's very easy to catch our kids doing something wrong. And it's not bad to, to uh, uh, mention those things, too. I'll talk about how to do that in a minute. But we need to filter our children and, and surround and saturate our children with praise more than we do negativity. When a child grows up with nothing but negativity, doesn't have to be even negative, but constant, you can do better. How come you got a C when you should have got a B or an A? All the different things that we can have opportunity to kind of challenge them on. They end up not being appreciated, but they also end up hurting and not feeling that their life has a sense of significance. You know, you say, well, pastor, is this biblical? Absolutely. You guys remember in Matthew 3, John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus. Baptized him and they walked through this, walking out of the water. Remember what happened? The heavens parted. What happened? God looked down. Listen to this. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God appreciating his son. It's biblical. If you read in the book of Timothy, there's a number of times that Paul was encouraging young Timothy, his protege. Timothy did not have a dad. So I believe Paul was extra sensitive to that, but also realized that Timothy wanted to be a pastor. He wanted to be a minister of the cause of Christ. He took every opportunity, kids, in those writings, you read the books of Timothy, to encourage him. Let me ask you something personal right now. As you think about your children right now, is there something you can think about this very moment that you appreciate about your children. Every one of them. They're there. I know you'll think of them. But do we take time to express those verbally to our children? How much I appreciate them? Some of you guys have athletes. I'm looking at my precious friend Eli here, a major league athlete. And um, But uh, I'm sure maybe Don would relate to this. But I remember my children participating in athletics. And um, I was so excited to see my son on that field out there or my daughters out there playing softball or soccer and just watching them and, Wanting to encourage them, <clears throat> the neatest thing that happened in my little life was the fact many times after they made a score or did something significant, they searched the stands to see if their dad was watching. I loved that because I was. I knew that was a great opportunity for me to encourage them and either give them a thumbs up or clap for them or the a way to go. I wasn't one of those guys that they could hear me across the field yelling at them when they missed a play, but uh, I was one of those guys that definitely wanted to inform them when they did something on the field. And I want you to think about this. They always looked my way. I'm sure your boys and your girls, when they're out there, wanted that affirmation from mom and Dad. Our children want it. They want to be affirmed. They want to be appreciated for the things they do. Affection, number three. The definition means caring words and actions develop a sense of lovability. We want our children to be lovable. story comes out of Madrid, Spain. Supposedly a true story fellow lost his son. He had been having problems with his son and his son just was unruly and one day the son ran away. His name was Paco. Ran away from dad. Gone for months and months and dad searched and searched and searched and dad was just getting very concerned because he'd been gone several months. Had no idea where his son is at. Madrid's a big city. A lot of bad parts of Madrid. So he decided I'm going to spend the money and put an ad in the paper. He says, dear Paco, I forgive you and I love you. Please come home. Meet me in front of the newspaper office Saturday morning at 8 o'clock. We posted this. And Saturday morning came and the dad got up and had breakfast and ran down there early to get to the newspaper station. Walked around the corner to the front of the newspaper station. And the report said that there was 800 Pacos there looking for their dad. They wanted to hear their dad say, Affection is huge. You know, it's unfortunate, though, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but um, the affection kind of wanes off as our children get older. Statistically, they say most adults, most moms and dads hug their children when they're younger age, elementary school age, fifth grade, that area. As they get older, though, the kind of affection wanes off. And it's really on both parts. Dad, I'm not going to hug you, Dad. Or, Mom, don't hug me in front of my friends. Mom, don't kiss me in front of my friends. They're standing out there. So it goes both ways. But think about the irony of that. The whole idea that probably when our children need that affection, need that affirmation in their life the most, is when they're kind of pushing away. But also, we can kind of bashful about that. So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about getting creative. Do it before their friends are around. You know, if you're driving your child to school, hug them outside their car before you drive them there or before they get in the school bus inside the house. Tell them you love them. I love the fact that almost every time I talk to my children, either my child or me or both of us say, I love you. It's kind of like the goodbye, I love you, Dad, See you later. I love you, child, See you later. Our children cannot hear words of affirmation. They can't hear the words, I love you, too much. It's not redundant. What it is, it's affirming every single day that I love you. And what does that do when they realize you love them? They realize somebody else loves them too. God loves them in heaven. Let me share really one of the greatest ways, though, that we can affirm our children and uh, that they might feel loved is men. It's a Father's Day thing is to love their mom, to demonstrate that love. Love their mom in such a way as the kids see it. They see this romantic relationship. They see this marriage made in heaven. Do that in a greater way? Obviously, saying it. Obviously, kissing and hugging your wife when you come in from work. Kiss her and hug her before you leave. Tell her affirming things as well. Think about this. How about inviting your kids to go along with you when you go out and buy a birthday gift or a Mother's Day gift for your wife? Take them along. Obviously, it generates the conversation. They get involved too. Hey, I think Mama would like this. Mama would like that. You're right. Let's do it. We have all kinds of ways that we can set ourselves up for success. To love their mom so the children see that love. They see that affirmation. They realize that I'm lovable because my dad loves me just like he loves my mom. And I see the way he loves my mom. But that whole lovability thing comes from unconditional love. God loves us unconditionally. He does. No matter how badly we fail, we're still his children. Nothing can rob us of our salvation once we have it. Once we're a part of his family, we're his family. No matter how badly we goof up or how many bad judgments we have in a day, God's still looking down, whoops, sorry child, we'll help you back up here, but it's going a new direction here. But I still love you. I still love you. This is huge today, guys. The greatest way that our children can come to understand unconditional love from God is to see unconditional love in their parents. That our children come to understand that my dad and my mom are going to love me no matter what. I can goof up. Even if I end up in jail, my mom and dad are still going to love me because I'm still their son. They love me. Will they be disappointed, probably, that I made those decisions, those choices? Absolutely. But nothing can ever separate me from the love of my mom and dad. And that's a beautiful picture for them to come to know and understand God's unconditional love, which is way beyond ours. We give them a little example of it down here that gives them an inkling of what it's like with God up there, but it points them to God in a great way. The fourth thought is availability. Taking time with your child develops their sense of importance. Children spell love T-I-M-E. When we give our children time, you know what that says? It says to them that I'm important. I'm important because my dad spends time with me. Imagine this for just a moment. Imagine if you were, it's a Friday afternoon, and you have this huge product, and it's all pending upon one little answer from your boss. You go upstairs to your boss's office, he's in his office there, the secretary's out front, and you say to the secretary, hey, I need you to see the boss for just two minutes. I only need two minutes. Well, he's very busy, and I don't think he can see you because he's getting ready to get, leave out of here and get on a plane and go someplace, and uh, he has to go home first and all these things. He won't be back till Tuesday, so I can send you a Tuesday morning. No, I need it today. I need it today. Would you please beep him and see if he'll see me for two minutes? Well, she beeps him in the intercom so he can hear, and uh, she says, hey, uh, Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones, he sure needs to see you for two minutes. Tell Mr. Jones I can't see him. I'm sorry. I'm just too busy. What does that say to Mr. Jones? He said, I'm just not that important. I can understand being busy, but I'm just not important. I have made horrible mistakes in my parenting when I've told my children I'm too busy to do something. I've ventured to say 90% of the time I could have delayed what I was supposed to do and said, yeah, let's go play this game. Let's go out and play catch or sit down on the carpet here and play with something or do something. I missed it. One of those things that I wish I had over to do again, because I wouldn't miss it. I came to realize a number of years ago that I didn't want to miss those things anymore. I missed them for too many years in my children's life. But I didn't want to miss them. This could ruin my image forever, but... um, I used to volunteer to take my children shopping, my two daughters, for their formals for for uh, proms. And Amy didn't really enjoy shopping that much. And uh, I wanted to spend the time with my girls. I love the fact that they wanted their dad to take them too, to go shopping. I also happened to know a few secret shops I knew about that had formal dresses, and I scoot over there and they weren't that busy. We found the formals. But you know, doing some of those things and being involved with them, that uh, – the entire time that my daughters lived at home, they go out shopping with somebody else. They go out and buy a new dress on their own. You know what they do when they walk in the door? They say, Dad, I got a new dress. Can I show it to you? Absolutely. They go upstairs and put it on and come down. I'm wanting that affirmation, but making my, time, making my time available to spend the time with them. I'm not bragging on myself. As I said earlier, I've made more mistakes and I've done things right, I'm sure, as a parent. But some of the things I've learned along the way, I also... I had the privilege of teaching my children how to drive. Once again, it's time to spend with them in the car and talk to them and help them. I remember growing up that my dad came to my bedside every single night as a young person, and this just want to say but When we sat there beside my bed, I'd say, hey, Dad, tell me a Navy story. He was a veteran of World War II, and he always had some great stories about the military He was still in the Navy Reserve, and I loved hearing about that stuff. It just intrigued me, but also hearing him talk and spending that precious bonding time with him was huge. My admiration for my dad grew through that whole thing. Obviously encouraged me to be in the military one day myself. We have an opportunity to invest in our children, time to spend with them. So we need to make ourselves available because when we spend time with our children, listen to carefully, it tells them they're important. Two more thoughts. Accountability is the fifth variable here, the fifth trait I want to talk about. By being accountable to your children, you teach them to be accountable which develops a sense of self-discipline and self-control. One of the problems in society today is a lot of people don't feel like they need to be accountable. It's somebody else's fault. They don't realize or don't think they need to suffer consequences for their actions. We need to set the example, and we also need to give our children permission to hold us accountable. That teaches our children accountability because Dad wants to be accountable to you. If Dad does something wrong, I want you to hold me accountable to it. Hey, a personal story. When I was in the restaurant business, probably, probably 20 years ago now, I had an anger problem. I dealt with uh, some of the finest people all day long, and I could have gotten mad at many of them. I probably could have slapped a couple of them alongside the head, fired a number of them. I didn't, though. I was always the consummate professional. You know, I'm, young man, you probably shouldn't be doing cocaine when you're working here during the day, so I'm going to have to let you go. You know, or young man, or this this happened one time, general manager. My head guy in the restaurant, y- you can't steal steaks and beer from the restaurant, I'm sorry. going to have to let you go today. Very professional, didn't want to let them see they got my dander. I was so mad inside, I'd burn them all. like I said, slap them silly. This is farm play. What I do, I go home, and who do I get mad at? My children. Sometimes Amy. God bless her, she stayed with me. But I let my anger hang out home. One day, God really spoke to me, took a little baseball bat inside my head and said, Are you stupid? There's all these people in the other day. You could yell out. I don't want you to yell out either, but you could yell out. Why are you yelling at little five and six and three-year-old children here and your beautiful bride? And, uh, you know, God's telling me, You're smarter than that. I hope you are anyway. I gave you a brain. Use it. I began praying, God break me that, and God broke me. I mean, God brought me to my knees. I realized how wretched I was for doing that. How stupid. How can I be such a consummate professional at work and go home and ask, act like a—I well, won't say—poorly? Do you know what? I sat down with my wife and my three kids one night. I said, "Daddy, sorry for ever getting angry. I don't want to ever get angry again. I've asked God to give me freedom from that and give me help me. And will you forgive me?" He said, "Okay." And then I told him this. I said, I don't ever want to get angry at you again. If I ever do, I want you to call me on it. I want you to say, Daddy, you're not angry. Well, guess what? About two weeks later, I got angry at Abby. She did something. I couldn't even tell you what she did right now. But got very mad again. And who's standing in the room but Jillian. After I got mad and angry angry at Abby and she's crying, Abby comes up to me, four years old, maybe five. Jillian, I'm sorry. Jillian comes up to me, four years old says, Daddy, you told us that you would never get angry at us again. Oh, my gosh. Did I learn my lesson? You better believe it. What did that teach Julian, though? She teaches her that she can hold people accountable, but it also teaches her to be held accountable, too. She realized that when Dad and that relationship was there. I want you to think about this. When we tell our children, I'm sorry, that's huge. That's great. We need to do that. I'm sorry for doing that. But that's only a singular action. That's my action. And they can say, yes, we will or no, I won't. Or they typically say, okay, I know you're sorry. But when you say, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me for doing this? You know what that is? That's two people. That's building a relationship here. I'm saying, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry for doing that. Will you forgive me? And that puts the onus over on their side of the plate where they can build that bond with their daddy and say, yes, daddy, I do forgive you. And next time they do something wrong, what's going to be one of the things that they think about? I need to ask for forgiveness. And I've had my children come and say, forgive me for that. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to say that. It happened by accident. When we hold our children accountable, they learn accountability. You know, listen very carefully. Our children are going to learn more by catching it than being taught it. They're going to learn more from seeing you and I carry out these things and living our life in the right way and teaching them accountability than they will by us teaching it or just pulling out a book and reading it to them. The final thing, authority. Authority administered with love, it's the definition you your bulletin again, provides boundaries for making right choices and develops a sense of uh, self-decisiveness. Two kinds of authority. There's the autocratic authority, which means do it because I said so, or do it or else. That's autocratic. That's a lot of rules with no relationship, really. Just do it because I'm the dad and you're not. Then there's relationship, relational authority. Relational authority says this. I want what's best for you, child. So let's talk about what just happened here. And as your dad, I need to kind of make sure that you understand that this is not the right direction to go. But it's all about that relationship. It's building the relationship. It's disciplining, but also disciplining with a purpose, but also disciplining in a positive way as positive it can be, that they learn from it, but also they realize that my dad still loves me. My dad still cares about me. You know, when we use that autocratic authority over and over again, our kids are going to react in one or two ways. They're going to fight us on it, or they're out of there. They're going to flee. And so the relational authority, the relational parenting, the relational fathering is a way that we establish a relationship in all things. Let me tell you this, the greatest mystery to raising our children, the greatest mystery to our authority is the fact of servant leadership. As dads, we need to be servant leaders. We're serving him, we're leading our family, but we're leading it like Jesus Christ led. We're leading it as a peer. We're leading it as a a brother come alongside and a father come alongside the child and leading him in such a way as that we serve our children, that we serve the causes of God. So as we think about our leadership, as we think about leading his dad's, it's servant leadership. I want to share one last story here. In 1976, John Ashcroft became a United States senator from the state of Missouri. He ultimately became a attorney general and a great godly man. He's written a book. I haven't read it, but I've seen experts out of it. He's a godly man, but he gives the credit to being a godly man to his dad, that his dad was a godly man. The day that he was getting sworn in as a brand-new senator from the state of Missouri in Washington, D.C., he was up in his new office there. had his family around, and everybody was dressed real nice because they take some pictures, and he was going down to the floor of the Senate before long to get sworn in. And in that office, one of his sons says, Hey, Dad, before you go down there, let's pray. Let's pray here, Dad, can't we? So they all stood up and looked over there in one of the nicer chairs, and there was John Ashcroft's dad. And he was struggling with all his might to get out of that chair. And John said, hey, Dad, you don't need to get, stand up to get out of that chair. don't need to struggle to get out of that chair. We'll come over to you. His dad said, I'm not struggling to stand up. I'm struggling to get out of my Images, guys, that we have the privilege of giving to our children. The memories that we can create. The essence of the foundation that we give them for life. Raise up a child in the way he should go. Our mission is to raise our children that they go the way that God wants them to go. That they go in God's power, with God's blessings. But they realize, first and foremost, God. Seek him first. Be hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness in our life. As our children leave our home and go that way. We have that responsibility to teach them and plant that foundation. And, you know, the other thing is that we can be that anchor for their life. Listen very carefully. We'll always be their dads. It may not be daddy. It will be dad or father. Praise God. I had the first experience of having a father's day, and I'm a grandfather. How awesome is that? Some of you guys are in the same place. Just the richness of life, of having these things in our life, but also the incredible blessings that we have given by God to affect the future for hundreds of years through our family. That our life long lives us because of the way our family carries themselves for the glory of God. There's nothing greater we can do, guys, than to give our children a real, genuine, strong, growing, on-fire relationship with God.